0: Hello oh, and welcome to Planet Money.
1: And I'm David Kestenbaum. That sounded a little long for Hello and Welcome to Planet Money, Baldur. Yes, today is another special Icelandic edition of Planet Money, and that person you just heard was Baldur, our Icelandic intern here at Planet Money. Thanks for
0: having me. Today is Tuesday, April 19th.
1: And on the show today, what happens when an entire country runs out of money? This is our second story from Iceland. And like the first one, it is one of the strangest we've come across in this entire global financial crisis. But first, our Planet Money Indicator from Jacob Goldstein. Today's Planet Money Indicator is a little bit less than 3.4. Right now, 10-year Treasury bonds are paying a little bit less than 3.4% interest. And of course, normally, yield on the 10-year Treasury bond super boring, not planet money indicator material. But I'm especially interested in it today because of that big warning that Standard & Poor's put out yesterday. You know, they said they're getting nervous about United States federal debt. And you would think, right, that people are nervous about lending money to the United States, they're going to demand higher interest rates. And that's still a really low interest rate for U.S. Treasury bonds. Yeah. I mean, not only is it pretty low, it's actually lower than it was on Friday. So basically, the bond market looks at this report and says, We don't care, right? I mean, if bond investors were getting worked up about it, you would expect the interest rate on treasury bonds to be going up. You would expect bond investors to say, we're nervous. The government has to pay us more interest. That's not happening. So as far as the bond market is concerned, as far as bond investors are concerned, they already knew everything in this report. It's it's no big deal to them. Thank you very much. Thanks. Okay, on to Iceland. So last podcast, we talked about that unusual vote where the people of your country, Balder, had to decide whether they wanted to write checks to the people of the UK and the Netherlands for the failure of some Icelandic bank. And today, we are going to tell the no less riveting story of how Iceland got into that mess. And the mess there is, is pretty bad, right?
0: Yeah, we are seeing higher unemployment than we've seen for decades. It used to be the case that everybody in Iceland had a job. Unemployment was basically zero. Uh, and now, unemployment is about 8%. The stock market completely crashed. It lost over 90% of its value. And our currency, the krona, lost half of its value.
1: And it used to be that the krona was like any other currency. You could take it into the bank and you could exchange it for whatever other currency you wanted. Now that is not the case. Balder, when we were in Iceland, you were trying to take out some dollars from an Icelandic bank just so you could bring back here and pay your rent and stuff like that, right? And it was hard to do.
0: Yeah, we just went into uh, one of the local banks here in Iceland, my bank, the one that I, I do business with. And um, the teller happened to be my grandfather's sister. But it, it turned out that they didn't have enough, enough, uh, enough cash, n- no, not enough dollar bills in the, in the bank building. The amount that I need is about $3,000. Basically, they had about $1,000 and it was only in small bills, like tens and twenties. So, so they're they're out of dollar bills. Yeah, that that particular bank was out of out of bills. So she uh, she called around. She called different uh, different branches of the bank, and uh, the word on the street is that there are some dollars in the in the suburb. So uh, we are heading towards a branch in Aubier, which is a it's a nice suburb.
1: Eventually, we did get your three thousand dollars, right? Yeah, it was a it was a bit of work, but we did get the three thousand dollars. And a lot of small bills. So there was a day not long ago when foreign currencies were flooding into Iceland. Big-time investors were putting money into Iceland. Foreigners were opening up online savings accounts in Icelandic banks. In fact, one Icelandic bank had a foreign celebrity in its commercials. KerbThink is the biggest company in Iceland. This is John Cleese doing an ad for Iceland's largest bank. It's a company
2: where you get all the benefits of a huge, global, multi-million. I mean, how many millions live in Iceland? 300,000. 300,000 million? No, just 300,000. Oh, so, Kurt Think is the biggest company in this tiny little country. <laughs> Tell me, how many companies do you have in Iceland? What, half a dozen? No, thousands.
1: Thousands? Oh, really? Well, maybe everybody in Iceland has a company. Those foreign savings accounts were a major source of foreign currency for the banks. The Ice Save accounts you heard about in the last podcast, they were one example. There are hundreds of thousands of people in the UK and the Netherlands had these accounts. The story of how Iceland got from John Cleese and got from being awash in British pounds and euros and dollars to a place where its currency is now basically in lockdown, that story starts in 2003.
0: At that time, Iceland had just finished privatizing its banks, and they'd gone from sleepy state institutions that basically loaned to fishermen and farmers, and now they were on the international stage. And in private
1: hands. Yes. And the timing of this was perfect or or awful, depending on on when you stand. There was a giant pool of money out there in the world from places like China. The rest of the world had gotten a lot richer. And all that money needed a home. People were looking for a place to invest it. In the U.S., that money got lent out to people to buy homes. In Iceland, it went into these new banks.
2: It went from being – or the balance sheet of the banks went from being about one year's GDP to being 10 years' GDP in about half a decade
0: That is Gilvi Magnusson. He's an economist at the University of Iceland. And I really remember this time. I was abroad in the U.S., but people I knew in Iceland that were graduating, they were being snatched up by the banks. The banks were making really good offers to people, and they were hiring people that I knew that I couldn't imagine working at a
1: bank. People that are artists today and I, I even have a hard time imagining them wearing a suit. Gilbert Magnuson said he was seeing the same thing. Kids that he just had in his class were now wearing fancy suits and driving fancy cars.
2: I would see my former students only with a couple of years experience on top of what I had taught them. Uh, they had gone into, you know, top jobs in banking. And and I had to question, you know, would I trust those uh, bright young people, you know, with uh, billions of kroner or even billions of dollars, and uh, I probably wouldn't have, but obviously somebody was trusting them.
1: And the truth was that even students at this time they could make a lot of money in this situation. Anybody could. It was the same story all over the world. Everybody looked like financial geniuses because it was easy to get loans, and whatever you invested in with that money did great. Housing prices in Iceland were soaring. The stock market was going up.
2: The st- stock market for about four or five years in a row went up by something like 50% a year. That's like... like, That that, that is incomprehensible, basically. That, that, That almost defies the law of physics, let alone the laws of economics.
1: So on paper, at least, everyone in Iceland looks rich, and they go around acting like it. Yeah, they went abroad. It must have
0: looked pretty strange for foreigners seeing groups of Icelanders coming into their country and buying up stores, uh, airlines, travel agencies, and names people know, like Debenhams, House of Fraser, All Saints.
1: And what was it like when you went back to Iceland?
0: It was crazy. I was still at school at this time, and uh, but friends that I I had that had started
1: their careers, I mean, they were living the life. They were buying cars, they were buying houses, living a good life. So the good times went on for a couple of years, and it, it is always hard to put a finger on the exact moment when things turn. But this moment is as good as any. This is Hotel 101. Meet Oskar Jonsson, who was chief economist at Iceland's largest bank. The bank was called Köpting, the one that we heard in the John Cleese ad. So one Thursday night in January 2008, Oskar got invited to this bar, the one that he took us to. Some foreign investors are in town and they wanted to meet him here. This is a
0: really posh place. People here are definitely dressed to impress. You've got guys wearing suits, you've got girls wearing fur and gold, it's posh.
1: So Oscar walks into the bar, and there's this group of guys there who wanted to meet him. They were also pretty, they loaded, they were—they were, you know, half brought of alcohol. They were drunk when you yes, came in? Yes, uh-huh. yes. It turns out these were hedge fund guys who had come to the conclusion that his bank, in fact his entire country, was totally screwed. They'd come just to make sure that they were right, to actually set foot in Iceland and see that it was as crazy as they thought it was. One of these guys, who Oscar says is built sort of like a New York cop, says they think Iceland will be the place for the second coming of Christ, a new financial Armageddon. They
3: want, wanted me to place um, the counter argument that Iceland would,
1: would not, not go down. They wanted you to argue against. They wanted you to, to, yes, to, yes. to make the case that Iceland was okay. Yes, yes,
3: yes, yes. Did you do that?
1: Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so they stayed here. they got really drunk, and they all started telling you they were shorting your, yes, your bank? And, we, and then we actually went, went, went out to eat something. With the hedge fund guys? Yes. You went to dinner with the enemy? Yes. And what did you talk about at dinner? The same thing. And how did you feel after dinner? Well, Strange. Strange, <laughs> strange to be out with a bunch of guys betting that your country is going to collapse. Especially when in your country, everything seems to be great. Of course, the thing he found out is that the hedge fund guys were right. The problem the hedge fund guys had spotted was very, very real. It was actually the thing that John Cleese was pointing out in that advertisement that was being used as a selling point. It's the biggest company in Iceland. It's a company where you get all the
2: benefits of a huge, global, multi-million. I mean, how many millions live in Iceland? 300,000. 300,000 million? No, just
1: 300,000.
0: Köpting was a very big bank in a tiny country.
1: Iceland, in fact, is the smallest country in the world to have an independent currency.
0: Yeah, imagine if Lexington, Kentucky had its own currency, the Lexington Krona.
1: (laughs) They'd probably call it something else. This becomes a problem for Iceland because Øskir's bank and the other Icelandic banks they owe lots of money in foreign currencies. Remember, they have depositors in the Netherlands and in England. There are international banks they've borrowed from. And after Lehman Brothers fails in the United States, a lot of people start asking for their foreign currency back. So if you're an Icelandic bank in normal times, you've got krona. You don't have euros or dollars. That's not a problem. You just exchange the krona for the currency you need. That's fine as long as people want krona or willing to exchange it for you. once the world senses you may be on the edge of financial disaster, surprising thing, nobody wants your krona. So the banks have no euro left. They can't exchange on the open market. That leaves one more option.
0: You go to the Central Bank of Iceland.
1: Yeah, but Iceland's central bank, it basically ran out of euros also. Again, Gilfi Magnusson.
2: The central bank uh, basically used more or less all it had in a desperate attempt to save one of the banks, but. That only kept that bank afloat for another couple of days.
1: Suppose you'd gone around the country with like, a, you know, a big plastic bag and said, we need all the euros we have on this island, put them in this bag. Would there have been enough euros to pay off the debt? No, not even close. <laughs> it's so funny because you have money, you have krona, but you don't have the money that you need.
2: Yeah, that that that's basically it. That, that was the fundamental, one of the main flaws of the banking system that uh the only backup that they had could pr- only provide krona it couldn't provide what the banks needed you guys have
1: an emergency printing press but it only makes krona yeah
2: uh people would have gotten very mad at us if we had started
1: printing euros on dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny cuz I, I you know particularly in the united states you don't think of actually running out of the currency
2: you know. Yes, and of course the situation in, in the U.S. is fundamentally different because most of that uh, banking system operates in dollars and uh, you know the Federal Reserve won't ever run out of dollars. Uh, but other countries can run out of dollars and uh, or euros for, for that matter. And that's very much what happened here.
3: That was the, the most obvious mistake, that you cannot really build an international banking system on such a small currency, that was really actually stupid.
1: Again, Oscar Jónsson, the chief economist at the largest bank, he remembers the time when it became clear the entire country had run out of money, foreign money, which is what you needed if you wanted to buy anything from abroad. Which in Iceland, a volcanic island where almost nothing grows, is pretty much everything.
0: Yeah, when I go to the grocery store, pretty much everything on the shelf is from abroad: toothpaste, grains, apples, oranges. It all comes from abroad.
1: And outside Oskir's window at the bank at this time on the streets of Reykjavik, things are starting to look scary.
3: It is kind of a um, a mass panic, basically. People were actually uh, in the lines in 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 the branches. Uh, you you saw some old, actually, grannies with plastic bags full of money that were actually going, going out of the, the banks. So,
1: Here. yes, you,
3: you saw you saw grannies, old ladies on
1: the street yes. with bags full of yes, fruit. yes. yes.
3: And there were, there were actually, um, um, you know, lines in you know, front of the banks, people that want to take, take money. And we were almost out of notes, Icelandic um, bank notes. I actually personally, since I was um, known in Iceland, people would know my face. I couldn't really go as in public because I, people would, would go, go to me and, and ask me about what was happening.
1: Inside the banks, it was also chaos because remember banks had loans to each other right his bank was calling other banks asking for their money back and other banks were calling his bank
3: uh, all of the banks they want to withdraw money from you or and they and they actually uh, delay paying any, anything to you they don't really answer answer the phones when you want to call them to to get the money they, they
1: owe you they did that happen you would call up other banks and they just wouldn't answer the phone yes basically yes yes people you dealt with for years and years yes yes, yes we it would just ring and ring and ring and ring
3: what yes. they would what they would just answer, you know the, you know he he's in lunch you know just just call later something, something like that
1: on october 9th 2009 cup thing bank collapsed the government took it over
3: and the funny thing is during the panic you know it was so crazy all phones were ringing at the same time um everyone was, wanted to get through get the money out you know ask what's happening but after the bank went down all was silent all the phones went dead and, um, and the, there just was this eerie silence no one would call and everything was basically stopped the markets were basically shut here um, the currency market the the um, the equity market, you know, everything went went down.
1: Copthink was the last of the big banks to go down. And when it goes down, there basically aren't any banks anymore. And the entire international payment system shut down, which meant you couldn't get money in or out of the country. Oscar says it was terrifying.
3: This is actually something that we never actually talk about. There are actually quite, quite many people that we, we went, you know, through together. But this is never a actually conversation topic. And... Mm, we, we don't really, you know, speak about this. It was such a horrible experience.
0: So I watched this all happen from abroad and it was pretty scary. I remember thinking, like, are there going to be planes flying to Iceland? Am I going to be able to go home and visit? Iceland, Oscar pointed out, it
1: was the only Western country to experience a banking collapse as a result of the financial crisis. This was the thing every country wanted to avoid. It was the reason the rest of us bailed out our banks. Iceland could not do it. And in the end, the International Monetary Fund had to come in and loan Iceland a ton of foreign currency. So looking back,
0: Oscar blames the very thing that uh, made the Icelandic people stand this harsh place called Iceland. We are a little bit crazy. We, we, when we're, we're a tiny country, but still we, we want to play ball with the, with the big players. When our national soccer team, when it plays internationally, we expect them to beat nations like Germany and France, which are a huge nation compared to Iceland.
1: Yeah, he blames overconfidence.
3: We just refuse to see the facts. I mean, we, I mean, we, we had it coming. You, you too? You think you yes. failed? Okay. Yes, yes. Me, me too, yes. Um, i was blinded by also blinded by the by the
1: prideurs. Yes. that was sort of surprising to me. I feel like in the United States you never get a banker admitting that he did anything wrong. No, it, it's the same in
0: Iceland. It's rare. Uh, we, we haven't heard many apologies from the bankers and people are furious. They uh, they've thrown paint at the at the houses of at the bankers own. They uh, they one one bank CEO got basically kicked out of a gym for showing up for his workout.
1: One of your friends told me when you we were hanging out at a bar one night that some Icelanders had what he called a haphazard megalomania. <laughs> they're megalomaniacs and it's sort of they latch onto one thing and then another. And at this point in time, it was banking. So my country is still on
0: life support. We're still suffering from the financial crisis. We have a, a loan from the IMF. And we're still rationing foreign currency.
1: Which is why, Baldo, you had so much trouble taking money out of the bank. The government set up these special laws to trap foreign currency in the country. They want to make sure they have enough foreign currency to do business. And they're trying to keep the exchange rate up, trying to keep the krona from falling further. And you still have that IMF loan.
0: And starting in 2012, we're going to have to start paying back the IMF loan. We have that loan. We have a, a loan from the Scandinavian
1: governments. And we're going to have to start paying back. All that you're going to have to pay back in foreign currency, the one thing you ran out of. As always, we want
0: to know what you think of today's show. Send us an email at planetmoney at npr.org.
1: Also, check out the blog. We've got a lot more on Iceland. That's npr.org slash money. I'm David Kestenbaum. I'm Baldur Hedensson. Takk fyrir að hlusta. Also known as, thank you for listening.